You're listening to the Audacious Church Podcast. This message was recorded live at our Manchester campus. We know this is a great investment into your life. So tune in, listen up and stay focused. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. In all of our locations today, we have carol services taking place. And I don't know how many that is, 12 or however many services today, but um, we have great services taking place all the way through into Wales, Cardiff, Chester, um, North, South Manchester. Where else are we? Sheffield, Geneva, anywhere else? Chester as well, good old Chester. And uh, so it's good to have you with us on this day. Well, listen, we're talking about the nativity story and today the journey ends up or takes us to the stable the, the barn where Jesus is born and He's laid in a feeding trough. And I think when it comes to any story that's ever told, context is important. Context is king. Because if you don't understand the context, the story never really makes sense. For example, with all our favourite Christmas films, you need to get the context to understand why Kevin is home alone. And if you just Pick it up halfway through. You need someone to explain the context. What is Buddy doing thinking that he is an elf? Well, you need the beginning to get context. Context is king. I certainly find when it comes to my understanding people and uh, knowing why people are the way they are, knowing their context gives me empathy. Knowing their context gives me understanding. Some of the people in your world who maybe when you first met them, you just thought they were difficult. When you got to know their story, when you got to know their context, your heart changed probably because context is king. Everyone say this after me, context is king. And so when it comes to the Christmas story, you know, many people pick it up in in the story of Mary and Joseph, but you've got to get the context to understand why this whole nativity journey that we've been on over recent weeks really makes sense because context is king. In fact, many of the things that we celebrate over the Christmas um, season, many of of the traditions, they all have a context. For example, Christmas as a festival, as an idea, did you know is not actually in the Bible. We don't have a season called Christmas in the Bible. In fact, one of the earliest recordings from church history of the Christmas season being kept and celebrated by the church was in around the 10th century when people began in church services to specifically remember that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem and laid in the stable, in the manger, according to what the Bible says. So it was around the 10th century that we hear about that. So even though the festival is not in the Bible, what we do know from the Bible is this, is that celebrating the birth of Jesus is very Bible. When we read the Bible, we see that Joseph and Mary, of course, they celebrated the birth of the baby. When we read the Bible, we see that the wise men, we know that the shepherds, And we know that the angelic host, they all celebrated the birth of the baby. Only three people did not celebrate the birth of the baby. Number one, King Herod, who tried to kill the babies. Number two, the devil didn't celebrate the birth of baby Jesus. And number three, those who didn't know the baby was born. 
And yet we celebrate this because the angels did, Mary and Joseph did, the wise men and the shepherds did. And of course, we celebrate it as a church because we know what the Bible grew, what, the, what the, that baby grew to achieve. Context is king. Did you know the word Xmas, Xmas? The word Xmas has a context. Over the years, I've heard many, many Christian people, I think we've got Xmas coming up on a slide. We have this word. Many Christians I've heard over the years have said this word Xmas, is it coming? The word Xmas, some people have said, well, people are trying to take Christ out of Christian, out of Christmas. You know, I heard the whole saying, you know, if you take Christ out of Christian, you're left with Ian. Now, Ian's a nice guy, but he didn't die on a cross to save you from your sins. And some people are saying, well, this whole idea of Xmas is taking Christ out of Christmas, but that's not true. Context is king. The word X there, it's actually from the Greek word for Christos. The word X is the Greek word Chi, and the Greek word Chi stands alone. It needs nothing else. And so the scholars, the academics back in the day, when they were translating the Bible into Greek, when they were translating different portions of the Bible and they wrote the word Christ, they simply wrote the word X because the Greek word Chi stands alone. The word X is scholarly language, friends. It's not some atheist taking Christ out of Christmas. It stands alone. Every time they wrote X, they did it saying, just like our God, He stands alone. There is none like this baby that was born in a manger. There's none like our Jesus. And so Xmas is not about taking Christ out of Christmas. It's actually faith-filled language. So next time somebody gets mad at you for writing X, you can tell them, no, 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 you gotta know the context. It's very academic. Christmas trees and Christmas lights. Did you know there's a context to Christmas trees and to Christmas lights? It was the Vikings and the Celts who first used Christmas trees, pine trees, in order to celebrate life. And the reason they loved the pine trees, they loved the Christmas trees as we know it, is because for them, for the Celts and for the Vikings, the pine tree actually was a symbol of everlasting life. Why? Because in winter, when all the other leaves fell to the ground and died, the pine tree kept its needles, it stayed fresh, and it stayed green. When the first Christian missionaries went to the Celts and they went to the Vikings, they saw the honour and reverence that the Vikings and Celts held towards the pine tree, which stood for them for everlasting life. And so the early Christian missionaries began to use the pine tree as a symbol for the everlasting life that this baby Jesus came to bring to them on that first Christmas day. Did you know it was the early Christians who used to hang berries and nuts on those Christmas trees in order to celebrate the everlasting life that came through Christ? Uh, Saint Boniface, who lived in the 12th century, was one of the first monks who began to recognise that the pine tree itself was like a triangle and he began to speak about this triangle in the sense of it represented the Trinity, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so around the time that the church began to celebrate the birth of Christ, they began to use these pine trees which began to represent everlasting life through Christ Jesus, symbolic again of the Trinity. 
The great reformer in the 1500s, Martin Luther, was one day walking through a forest in Germany, walking through the snow under the pine trees, and as he looked up, he saw the stars twinkling through the pine trees, and he thought to himself, this must be what it was like the first Christmas day. And then he went home that night to the Christmas tree that was in his house and he gathered the children around and he put in the tree a light, a candle. He lit the candle and he said, hey children, this candle represents the light of God through Jesus Christ. And from that time in the 1500s, we have begun to adorn Christmas trees with lights. Tradition has it that the lights, the different colours represent different things. Uh, they, white stands for the purity of Christ. The, the blue light stands for the love of Christ. The red light, of course, stands for the blood of Christ. And the green light stands for everlasting life. We have traditions, don't we, over Christmas cards and the nativity. This year, you're gonna get Christmas cards that really have images, nothing to do with the baby born in the manger all those thousands of years ago. Penguins and ducks. And if you send me a penguin and a duck on a Christmas card, I'm gonna send it back to you. I always make sure I buy Christmas cards that have got at least some resemblance of what the story's about everybody. But you know, the first Christmas card that was ever sent was in 1843, was sent by somebody called Henry Cole. And Henry Cole, he was struggling to write all the letters and all the notes saying Merry Christmas to everybody. And he thought to himself, wouldn't it be great if I could get an artist to design something. Now in the middle of the shot there, you see a, a, a really rich family celebrating great food and great wine and great company. And the other two images on the other sides represent poverty, poor. And the reason he had this card designed is to let everybody know, you know what? Christmas is about sharing God's love to humankind. And it's from that point that Christmas cards began to get famous. Christmas cards, we also have the Christmas nativity plays. How many of you parents have been to school and watched 150 Christmas, you know, nativity scenes this year? I remember when my kids were in primary school, you would have to go and sit for an hour and just wait for the little moment that your child had. And then you have to sit through another two hours that you will never get back in your life in primary schools that have terrible sound systems. We should do something about that, actually. We should take up an offering sometime and just give every primary school a good sound system in Jesus' name. Nativities, where'd they come from? Well, listen, context is king. The first person to ever use a nativity, as we know it, was St. Francis of Assisi. You may know the name. On a Christmas service many hundreds of years ago, he hired some actors got some real animals in church, and he put on a production that lasted one to two hours where the whole story was all about God coming to humankind. Context is everything. And of course, we have Christmas mistletoe, don't we? Christmas mistletoe, you know the tradition of kissing under the mistletoe, but you know, mistletoe has a context as well. The Vikings saw mistletoe as a symbol of peace. It was a symbol of peace because they noted that mistletoe grew out of dead wood, dead trees. They ended up really honouring the mistletoe as a symbol of peace for humankind. That when everything is dying, this thing is green. This thing has life. And once again, the early missionaries, Christian missionaries, 
when they went to the Vikings, they actually saw the reverence with which they held the mistletoe and the Christian missionaries began to say, you see this plant, this plant of peace that grows out of something dead? Well, we got something to tell you about someone who was hung on a cross of dead wood, but he died and yet he came to life and he's known as the Prince of Peace. In fact, the Vikings held mistletoe in such honour that if they were in combat, if they were fighting and they discovered that they were under the mistletoe, they would have to stop and make peace with their enemy because they were not allowed to fight under the mistletoe, the plant of peace, who became known as the Prince of Peace, who became a gospel missionary way of sharing the gospel with the people, the Vikings of old. Context is everything. And so when it comes to the story of the baby in a manger this Christmas season, I want you to know that context is everything. You can just know about a baby being born or you can understand the power of context. In fact, the context for the baby being born is found in this book. Did you know that this book, this story is bought 54,945 times per day? 38 times a minute, this book is bought on planet Earth. This year alone, this book has been bought 80 million times, not including downloads and digital tools. 80 million times. The Guinness Book of Records has it as the best-selling, most-read book on planet Earth. They estimate that up to seven billion copies of the book have been bought during, during the Bible's kind of life and reign as an amazing book. Now, here's the thing about the context, that when we read the context, many people think that the Christmas story starts with a baby in a manger, but it doesn't. To truly understand the power of the baby being born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger, you've got to read the first line on the first page in the first of the 66 books in the Bible, and it says this, in the beginning, God. In other words, before anything, God. Before time, God. Before the heavens and the earth, God. Before science, God, before academia, God, before anything was that has ever been, there was God. And the Bible says in the beginning, friends, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. And the Bible teaches us that the reason God created the heavens and the earth was to create His joy, His delight, which was to create humankind. He created us that we would know and love Him and that He would know and love us. I mean, what a brilliant thing that is, to create something in order to take joy and delight. And over the millennia that has passed, I want you to know that the joy and the delight that God takes in you and I has never wavered and has never waned. But the challenge God had is this, is that in creating humankind to know Him and love Him, He risked rejection. And the Bible teaches us, the context of the Bible is this, it teaches us that over the many hundreds of years, 
humankind turned their back on God. The Bible actually calls that sin. Anything that we put in the way of knowing God, any obstacle that stops us from knowing God and having relationship with God. And even though over the many, many years, humankind tried to recapture relationship with God, humankind could do nothing. Did you know something today, friends? There's nothing you can do to make yourself right and holy in God's eyes. There's nothing you can do because God did something. In fact, the context of the baby being born in Bethlehem and placed in a manger in a stable all those years ago, actually, we get some very clear words written by somebody called Isaiah 745 years before the baby was born and placed in that manger, Isaiah 714. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God with us. And so the baby being born was a symbol of a new beginning. The baby being born 2,000 years ago was about God coming to humankind and saying to you and I, hey, I see your life without me. Now I'm coming to make amends. Now I'm coming to make it right. I'm gonna send my son. So the beauty of the Christmas story is that 2,000 years ago, God came out of heaven, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, not God separate to us, not God at a distance, but God with you. The Bible says that this baby grew to be a man. The Bible teaches us that this man was good, that he was perfect, that he was all God and yet he was all human all at the same time. The Bible teaches us that he was kind and he was good, he did miracles. He healed people. He set people free. And the Bible's very clear. It says that the common people loved Him. That I don't know what you thought about this Jesus of the Bible, but I want you to know the common people loved Him. Wherever He was, there was crowds of people around Him because He was so good and He was so kind because He was God in human form. In fact, Jesus says this in the Bible, gives us context. It says this, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In the Bible, in John chapter 3, 36, it says, anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. You see, we all have a story. And one thing is true for all of us is that none of us are in charge of where our story began. We didn't choose our parents. We didn't choose our primary school. We didn't choose our home life. We didn't choose any of those things to happen. Uh, we, we have a beginning and the beginning of your life and my life brings context. When you get to know me, you think, well, I thought Glenn was English. Why does he sound Australian? Well, it's because I was born in Manchester, but grew up in Australia. Came back when I was 15, went back to Australia when I was 20, came back when I was 24. You're like, oh, that makes a little bit of sense. Now I understand why he's got that bizarre, strange accent. Context helps. And the thing about this baby in a stable 2,000 years ago is this, is that Jesus did something that would make it possible for every single one of us to have a new beginning. 
That's what the baby in the manger speaks of. Speaks of a new beginning. So I don't know what your story's like. I don't know how it began and I don't know how it's going. I do know that from the day you were born and till this moment, everything has converged to this moment to bring you to this place on this pre-Christmas Sunday to hear a little bit of the context of why Christmas. You've had good days, you've had difficult days. But one thing I do know is this, is that in the choice that we have to believe that Jesus came for us to have a new beginning, then these next moments can change everything about the rest of our lives because the stable is about new beginnings. I'm gonna get Paul to read you a story right now, a story of a little boy called Misha. Stories told from the Baptist Union of the United States of America about two missionaries who went to Russia just after the fall of communism and went to tell the story of baby Jesus in a children's home in Russia. Listen to this. In 1994, two Christian missionaries answered an invitation from the Russian Department of Education to teach morals and ethics in a large orphanage. About 100 boys and girls who had been abandoned, abused, and left in the care of a government-run program. When it was nearing Christmas, they decided to tell them the story of Xmas. It would be the first time these children had heard the story of the birth of Christ. They told them about Mary and Joseph arriving in Bethlehem. Finding no room in the inn, the couple went to a stable where the baby Jesus was born and placed in a manger. Throughout the story, the children and orphanage staff sat in amazement as they listened. Some sat on the edges of their stools, trying to grasp every word. When the story was finished, they gave the children three small pieces of cardboard to make a crude manger. Each child was given a small paper square cut from yellow napkins that they had bought with them since no colored paper was available in that city. Following instructions, the children tore the paper and carefully laid strips in the manger for straw. Small squares of flannel cut from a worn out nightgown an American lady was throwing away as she left Russia were used for the baby's blanket. A doll-like baby was cut from tan felt, which the missionaries had also bought with them. It was all going smoothly until one of the missionaries sat down at her table to help a six-year-old boy named Misha. It finished his manger, but when the missionary looked at the little boy's manger, she was startled to see not one, but two babies in the manger. Quickly, she called for the translator to ask Misha why there were two babies in the manger. Crossing his arms in front of him and looking at his completed manger scene, Misha began to repeat the story very seriously. For such a young boy who'd only heard the Christmas story just once, he related the happenings accurately until he came to the part where Mary put the baby Jesus in the manger. When Misha started to ad lib, he made up his own ending. He said, and when Maria laid the baby in the manger, 
Jesus looked at me and asked me if I had a place to stay. So I told him, I have no mama and I have no papa. So I don't have any place to stay. To stay. When Jesus told me, I could stay with him. But I told him I couldn't because I didn't have a gift to give him like everybody else. But I really wanted to stay with Jesus so much. So I thought about what I had that maybe I could use for a gift. I thought maybe if I kept him warm, that would be a good gift. So I asked Jesus, if I keep you warm, will that be a good gift? And Jesus told me, if you keep me warm, that will be the best gift anyone has ever given me. So I got into the manger and then Jesus looked at me and he told me I could stay with him for always. As little Misha finished his story, his eyes brimmed full of tears that splashed down his little cheeks. Putting his hand over his face, his head dropped to the table and his shoulders shook as he sobbed and sobbed. The little orphan had found someone who would never abandon him, who would never abuse him, someone who would stay with him for always. Thank you for listening to this Audacious podcast. For any more information, visit us online, audaciouschurch.com. We'd love for you to join us at one of our campuses, Manchester, Chester, or online every Sunday, 10 a.m. and 12 p.m.